I want to invite you to open up to the book of Psalms uh, for our, our preaching and teaching time this morning. We're going to be looking at Psalm 63. And uh, this is sort of a, a final and concluding message in our look at um, a life of prayer. We've sort of been studying prayer in all these different aspects and dimensions um, since early in September. And many of you have, have shared with me, again, how that's impacted you, how that's um, unfolding in, in some new ways that you're praying or new rhythms for you, how you're connecting and communicating in your own relationship with God at a heart level. And that's, that's been exciting for me to hear. It's been um, fun to hear your excitement in that. And actually, I had, had planned to sort of conclude our study of, of the chapters in the book as we moved into the, the Advent season. So I had left off the last chapter, chapter 10. But several of you have said, hey, can we, can we come back and finish the book? We want to hear the last, the last chapter, the last message. Um, and so this morning I decided as we, we start a new year uh, to come back and, and look at some of the ideas contained in that final chapter. My hope is that with all of the different forms of prayer that we've been exploring, uh, that, that today and as we move into the year ahead, that there's some way for each one of us to draw all those different kinds of praying together into, into something like a rhythm that, that kind of keeps sustaining and feeding and enriching our prayer lives, uh, both in this year to come, but also for, for years to come that these things uh, find a way to become habits for us. And my hope is that we, we can develop a life of prayer and a routine that has staying power, right? not just something we, we do once or twice. Turn my clicker on here. One of the things I love most uh, in the work I do as a pastor is getting to visit with people, hear their stories, uh, hear what's happening in their lives. And some of uh, the people I most enjoy meeting together with are married couples who've been married for, for a long period of time. In many cases, they've been married more years than I've been alive. So I'm 43 if you're keeping track. So there are, I know, a number of you out there that would, would fall under uh, that category. I was actually uh, met with a couple just recently who are well past their 60th year of marriage. And they were telling me about the moment they first laid eyes on one another in grade school at a parade. And they saw each other from across the way. And they, they knew, hey, I want to get to know that person better. And that, that unfolded into a, a dating relationship later. And then eventually they were married. And they've shared those decades together. That kind of longevity is an increasingly rare gift in, in our world today. But I think when you spend time around people who've, who've invested that deeply and that intimately in, in their connection and their relationship over years, there's often a, a beauty, an intimacy, a, an understanding of one another um, that maybe we, we could take for granted, but that has probably been hard won. Right, over decades of, of daily choosing to listen to the other person, to be reconciled to that person when there's stuff that comes up, to persevere with that person, right, to love that person, right, day in and day out, 
And that, that day in and day out investment and practice is something we call fidelity. Right? Fidelity isn't, isn't flashy, but it's a commitment that gives the most important things in our life staying power. It ensures that they, they remain central, that we value them, that we prioritize them. So there's, there's the idea that we see fidelity expressed in a marriage relationship. But in chapter 10 of Tyler Statton's book, Praying Like Monks, he also talks about how fidelity is an important dimension in our, our prayer life, in our lives and relationships with God. And there's a quote in chapter 10 where he says this. He says, prayer is all about love. Ultimately, that's what this is, is, is meant for. And if that's the case, if prayer is about love, then it means it cannot be sustained just on fluttery feelings, just on good intentions, or on spontaneous moments only. He says prayer needs a container, something like the fidelity of a marriage, a set of practices or rituals within which that love can grow, mature, and blossom. So if, if prayer and if our relationship with God need this, this sort of fidelity and, and set of practices or rituals, what are those? How do we choose those? How do, how do we do those day in and day out? And that's what I want to think about briefly with you this morning. To do that, I, I've chosen part of Psalm 63 which is a prayer of, of David's. And I've chosen it uh, for a couple of reasons as, a, as we think about sort of fostering these, these rituals and rhythms of prayer. Firstly, I, I've chosen it because I think it expresses well David's heart uh, because he prays as a lover. David, David prays with the deepest desires of who he is. He sees prayer not just as a, a sort of dry and abstract ritual. He comes to it with his whole heart. And I think that's the kind of prayer that we, we want to develop and sustain. So David comes to prayer as a lover, as someone who knows how desire is connected to prayer. But secondly, David also understands that, that for prayer to do that, for prayer to speak to the deepest places in who he is, it has to work itself into the, the warp and woof of his daily life. Right? Prayer has to be something that happens from the moment we wake up until the, the moment we lay our head back down at night. Right? Prayer is this relationship where our fidelity and our friendship with God is lived out in, in concrete choices and actions. So I want to I look at Psalm 63 with you and then think specifically about maybe ways we can glean some of, some of the practices we see there into a rhythm of our own. Let me pray for us as we open the word of God together. Lord, I, I pray that as we hear the prayer of another saint, another teacher, one who's gone before us in prayer, that with David we might see prayer as one of the very best gifts given to us. That we might see the, the chance to connect with you and be with you and rest in you, and delight ourselves in you. Lord, as, 
as the very best thing in our lives. And Lord, would you show us how that might mature, how that might blossom, how that might continue to grow day in, day out, year in, year out, so that however many our days are, are numbered in your book, that we, we could look back and see um, the intimacy and beauty and depth of our connection with you growing throughout the years. Lord, I pray for my words as I preach and teach. I pray for the, the meditations, the choices, the attitudes of our hearts, that you would move those things to a place where they are, are pleasing in your sight. It's in your name I pray. Amen. We're looking at Psalm 63. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8 together. Many of, of David's psalms in particular have a brief inscription right before we're, we're given the actual prayer. And they either supply some of the context of why David wrote this psalm or maybe where David was when the psalm was written. And Psalm 63 is one of those. And the inscription simply tells us that David wrote this prayer while he was in the deserts of Judah. Now we're kind of left to guess about the, the further context, because David actually spent quite a bit of time in, in those desert areas. He, he was, uh, would have known them as a young boy in the shepherd life he lived. He would have uh, experienced battle in those places. He fled from King Saul before, before David was king, fled for his life to the desert. Um, but many, many biblical scholars believe that this particular prayer may have been penned at a time later in David's life, um, when he had already become king, but when his own son Absalom had uh, rebelled against David and had actually seized the throne with force from David. And David and many of those who were loyal to him uh, fled Jerusalem and they went through the Judean desert toward uh, the Jordan River, um, both as a, a sign of, uh, or, or an attempt to, to, to protect themselves, to spare their lives, but also to wait and see what God would do. In, in this conflict with Absalom. We're told in 2 Samuel 16 uh, that David and his group fled uh, for a long and arduous uh, day through, through the, the foothills outside Jerusalem and, and to uh, a small place there in the desert. And 2 Samuel 16 says that they collapsed from exhaustion at the end of that day and sought to be refreshed. So some speculate that maybe it was on that occasion that David wrote this prayer. I want to look with you at, at the first three verses to begin. David says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry in parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and your glory. And so because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I want you to think about a morning when you woke up. Maybe it was after a bad dream. Maybe it was after a difficult night of sleep, and, and you woke up and, and the new day arrived and you were still feeling pretty rusty, pretty 
crusty even. Not a lot of enthusiasm for whatever that the new day in front of you was holding. For those of you who aren't morning people, maybe that's most mornings during the week. For some of us, we go through seasons of life where, again, this this sense of what we wake up into in each new morning is difficult and challenging. Hard for us to, to be excited about things. I picture David here waking up on a morning like that. David is not in his bed at the palace. He's not just beside the the Ark of the Covenant and and beside the priests and those who would offer worship that he could maybe join in or listen to. David is alone with a small handful of friends. His muscles probably ache from a difficult hike into the desert the day before. And if if his, uh, the rebellion of Absalom is the context behind the psalm, then, then all of the most important relationships in David's life are also in turmoil. David didn't have coffee to wake up to. <laughs> we don't know if he had breakfast available there in the Judean desert. Maybe just a few swallows of water from a, an animal skin or a canteen of some kind as they continue their their journey east. Regardless of how the day starts, though, verse 1 expresses the habit of David's heart to begin with a sense of longing, with an orientation toward God in prayer. The verb in in verse 1 here in, in Hebrew is shahar. And it can mean sort of two things, and many commentators think there's kind of an intended double meaning. The verb means to be earnest or to be diligent about something. But the verb is actually drawn from a Hebrew noun which signifies the early part of the morning, the the moment, early moments of the morning or the dawn. So probably the, the verb came out of the idea that if a person rises in those early moments of the day, they are an earnest person. There's a diligence about them. The old KJV, I believe, is translated, You, God, are my God, early do I seek you. Here the NIV says, earnestly do I seek you. But the picture we have is of David, both, I think, early and earnestly, seeking to start his day in the presence of God, with an awareness of God's presence. And look how he prays in these three verses. You, God, you're my God. I seek after you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in this dry land. And because no matter what, your love is the very best thing in my life. I want with my dry, with my dusty lips, I want to begin by glorifying you by praising you. I think the picture we're given there is not that that David prays on a kind of whim in this moment. This isn't a, a moment of inspiration for David. David prays, I think, because this is an established rhythm and routine in his life, in his heart. So that both on the best morning and the worst morning, 
This is, this is how he wakes up. I think one of the greatest prayer disciplines or habits I can recommend to you, and it's, it's recommended in the book as well, whether or not you are a morning person, whether or not you love those, those first moments of the day, or whether you dread them, is to find some way to capture the first five or 10 or 15 minutes as you wake up. Find a way to wake up with God, to wake up in the presence of God. As David does here, to put God's name on your lips early and earnestly. So that in those first few moments, we can begin to comprehend that God also begins each day with us. Right? That's an intention that he has toward us, to meet with us, to be with us. There are, there are many mornings that I wake up and, and I'm thinking about something, I'm feeling something, I'm stressed about something. And just even taking 15 minutes to sit and, and to pray and just to be aware of God. I don't, I don't often do a lot in that time. Sometimes I, I pray through the Lord's Prayer slowly. But that, that awareness of God's presence can slowly shift some of what's happening at an emotional level, at a cognitive level. It reorients me for the day ahead. And I think we, we see things beginning to, to happen inside of David here throughout this psalm. Look at verses 4 and 5. David describes how as he, he turns his thoughts in those first moments of the day toward God, and he begins to praise God, he describes how his parched and thirsty lips begin to taste something. David says, I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. Literally, he's describing the, the fat, tasting the, the, the richness of the, the fattest of foods. He says, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. What I notice in these couple of verses is their physicality. Right? They, they point to the idea that for David, prayer is connected to his body. Prayer is connected to his desires. For David, prayer is not just rehearsing a list of ideas in his head. Right? David uses his hands. He lifts his hands up when he prays. David uses his lungs and his mouth. It says David sings. We know from other psalms and, and um, passages that, that David likes to dance in the presence of God. David says, for him, as he begins to worship, it's like sitting down to a banquet of the finest of food. As David warms up in this practice, right, worship becomes something he savors something he delights himself in. A few weeks ago during Advent, I talked about the way sometimes, you know, there are these sort of spontaneous songs within us that need to just get out as, as a kind of prayer. And I think David routinely did that. He found a way to make 
these, these prayers of desire, prayers of the deepest things in who he was, part of his prayer life. Right, David says here that prayer satisfies him in a way that, that few other things could. I think that, that points to this balance that prayer is, yes, a discipline. It's something we have to choose. It's something we have to practice. It's something that will, will become easier the more we do it and the more it's, it's integrated into to the way we live our lives. So it's a discipline, but it's meant to be a discipline of desire. Right? Our hearts are meant to be attached to that practice. As Tyler Statton says several times in his book, prayer is about learning how to love. And I, I've, I've alluded to the fact that many of you have shared things with me this fall as we've been reading this book. And, and several of you, of you have described times of prayer in your own life where you've experienced this, this kind of, of intimacy in God's presence, of being loved in the presence of God, of being known in the presence of God, of, of weeping even for joy in the presence of God. And that doesn't, that doesn't happen every moment, every morning. It's not something we can manufacture. But I think God works and, and speaks to the desires of our heart. He gives us this inner satisfaction over time as our hearts are connected with his. Right? Each day we, we make the time, we make the effort for the things that matter most to us. And God desires to be that thing, to be the one we long to connect with and to experience. So David describes, I think, God being the, the lover of his soul. Beginning each day, connecting with that love, walking through the day, the work of the day, the decisions of the day, remaining connected to that love. And then in verses 6 through 8, David talks about returning to that presence and that love as our day draws to a close. David says, on my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you as your right hand upholds me. And we see sort of the arc of a single day in this prayer. David begins his prayer in verse 1 at the dawn. And now in verse 6, he, he begins to describe how prayer surrounds him into the night. David says that as he lays down to sleep, he turns his mind, he turns his heart toward God in prayer. And specifically, David says he remembers God's help and God's protection at the end of the day. In verse 7, David now sings again, but I think this time it's, it's more quietly, and he says he sings as one who's enfolded or, or takes refuge under the shadow of God's wings. That's probably an image David has borrowed from the worship of Israel. And if you think about the, the Ark of the Covenant, where, where God's sort of special presence was said to dwell, it was between these two cherubim's wings that, that God, um, that the holiest sort of center of God's presence among his people was, was said to dwell. And I think David is imagining himself there, himself placing his life 
and his concerns and his needs. There in the, the center place of God's presence. As the day ends, verse 8, David prays that he might cling to God, that he might follow hard after God and trust God with, with the many details and circumstances of his day. And if you think about David's life, that's no small thing. Right? In this context, David is probably running from someone pursuing his life. David's life was, was tumultuous. But David had this practice of, of ending each day by saying, my life is not my own, and so I cling to you and I, I ask you to uphold me, to hold on to me as I hold on to you so that I can rest. And I think, again, by this time in David's life, this isn't something spontaneous. This is, I think, a developed rhythm of prayer. You can see it in many of the Psalms. David anchors his soul in the moments of victory, in the moments of despair. David returns to God in prayer. Again, the Psalms tell us that, that David was a volatile person. Some people actually think David may have struggled with, with something like bipolar disorder. Right? His, his emotions are up, they're down. But the one thing that's constant in David's life is prayer and worship. That's the place David knows to go back to. Early, earnestly, he prays. With his body, with his deepest desires, David prays. And then at the end of every day, David prays. Even in the watches, the middle of the night, David prays. So I think that, that brings us back to us and to our own prayer lives. Again, we've, we've been experimenting and, and, and learning about all these different aspects of prayer since September. We've talked about prayers of adoration. We've talked about prayer of confession. We've talked about uh, learning to pray in stillness. We've talked about how to ask God for the things we need in a kind of daily bread prayer. We've talked about praying for the lost. We've talked about praying that God would use us and God would speak to us and, and guide us into the plans he has for us. But how do we kind of draw all of those different dimensions of prayer together so that it's working its way into our everyday lives? I think that the last prayer practice, which is outlined at the end of chapter 10, speaks to that. It talks about developing a daily prayer rhythm where there's space in your life to, to pray in these different ways, to connect with God, converse with God, right, in the morning, at noon, and at night. And as the author of the book points out, this isn't a, a new idea. It's not an innovation of his. We can see that the people of Israel were committed to this practice. We see it in the Psalms. We see it in the book of Daniel. We see it in other, other parts of Deuteronomy. We see Jesus and his disciples in the Gospels praying at set times throughout the day. We see the earliest church in Acts doing the same thing, right? They gathered at the temple for, for set hours of prayer and worship. And throughout the history of the Christian church, different expressions and different centuries and ages have, have tried in their own way to sustain these rhythms of prayer 
and worship. Right? And I think we, especially in the age in which we live and, and the number of things we are dealing with, we desperately need to recover these in our own generations, right? to renew them, to make them our own. Starting uh, during my sabbatical last, last spring, when I, I began reading this book, I've appreciated slowly trying to work some of these rhythms into my own prayer life. For me, I've, I've enjoyed trying to begin each morning, if nothing else, by praying the Lord's Prayer. Sometimes I have 20 minutes to slowly pray through that. Sometimes I have five minutes on a busy morning to pray through that. But beginning the day, reminding myself that I'm in the presence of a God and Father who loves me, who wants me to be with him. Right? A God who tells me I can bring the needs and concerns of my day before him. That he'll give me my daily bread. And beginning my day by inviting God to heal and forgive the broken parts within me. And also to begin to, to pray for and offer healing to those uh, in my life that, that also may have sinned against me. And then, and then inviting God to lead me and even direct my desires into the day ahead. Sometimes if I have a little more time in the morning, I might also read from a psalm. I, I've enjoyed using the, it's called the Coverdale Psalter, where they take all 150 psalms and they break them down into prayers for the morning and prayers for the evening throughout the month. So that every month you're, maybe you don't read all the psalms, but you're making your way through the psalms kind of systematically. Sometimes I'll write down a few verses from that psalm as, as a kind of practice to slow myself down and, and to pray those, those things. Sometimes on the, the early morning drive into work or wherever I'm going that day, I'll put on some worship music and begin to sing and, and allow that to also be a time of prayer. When it comes to the middle of the day, I think for me that's one of the harder times it, in, in my own experience, to, to integrate prayer into my life. Um, one of the things I've tried doing is to set an alarm on my phone around the middle of the day, and when it goes off, it reminds me to pray. Um, usually, I, I've been trying to set aside this middle part of the day for intercessory prayer, and so to pray for the needs of people um, who I know are, are struggling with something. Maybe I'm praying for the needs of people who I know are far away from Jesus, and, I, and I'm longing for them. To, to understand God's love. Or maybe there are particular situations in my own life that I'm feeling especially burdened by. And, and setting aside that time in the, in the middle of the day just to ask for God's help has been, has been life-giving. It is, it is hard, though, because often the middle of the day is when we're busiest. We're in between things. We're trying to get things done. And so for me, it's, it's been trying to find a way that that works with my daily schedule. Sometimes that means when I'm driving someplace, I shut the radio off, I shut the music off, and I just take those, those 10 or 15 minutes to pray and to talk out loud. Sometimes it means taking a walk just before I have lunch near my office and using that time to pray. But again, maybe in the middle of the day, we, we again continue our conversation with God. We remember and we notice where God's at work, and we ask him for help. And then for me, at the end of the day, I think a practice I've been trying to integrate is, is looking back on the day and practicing gratitude. Sometimes we do that as a family around the dinner table. Sometimes that's a personal practice as I get into bed 
um, at the end of each day. But, but trying to look back and name the goodness of God, the gifts of God. And also to surrender anything that I'm still processing, maybe that I'm still holding as the day finishes. There uh, is actually a, an app that's uh, recommended at the end of your book. There's a, there's a link to it. That's something I've tried out. If you're a person that uses your phone a lot, that might be a really helpful tool to, to sort of remind you to pray at different times during the day. There are little liturgies you can put on and, and listen to the Lord's Prayer or other kinds of prayer that will help you enter into prayer. If you're not a phone person, then you, know, you, can, you can find other ways to make those rhythms happen. But I think the importance is trying something. Try integrating maybe one of those things in the week ahead. Make it concrete, but make it doable. Right? Don't say you're going to go from zero to 45 minutes every morning with God. That probably won't happen. But choose to take a step right, and, and build on those habits. Again, the Lord has given us rhythms and routines for a reason because they're, they're ways that he ministers his grace to us. One of the, the ways in which God has done that for his people is to set a table for us to share in together. And so today, as we continue in our worship, we're coming to the Lord's table. And I'd invite you, as you come to the table today, to remember that this is a table where God wants to speak to and satisfy the deepest desires of our souls.